so good to see you all. Thank you so much, worship team. It's such a blessing to be back at Emerge. It's always Sunday after summit. And I feel just, you know, the excitement of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your midst. And like I said to Redcliffe, for everyone watching at Moray Field, we love you. I, you know, I'm gonna see you guys in a few weeks in person as well. And I wanna give a shout out to Pastor Joe who organized all these red cords for me and the team that obviously helped him. You're in a blessed community, but you're in a blessed family. There's a difference. And, and I wanna speak to that today. The word that has been stirring in my heart for weeks prior to even being here is remind them of the promise of family. Families have inheritances. Workers and slaves don't. Families have family lines and lineage and legacy. Being a commodity in a strategy or a strap plan or an organizational chart doesn't. You are a family of God. You, the, the family will grow and for Morayfield and for the other campuses that will eventually come into the Emerge family and the networks that may open up because of it. It is a family first. And I wanna speak to the promise over your family. And, and I know we've seen Neil and Julie's exciting you know, announcement on Facebook. I'm allowed, yeah, you have, right? Like, I'm like, oh God, you know. You know the guest speaker's not coming back, you know. Um, if it's on Facebook, I think it's automatically like, I wanna say this to you. I was putting this together before that announcement was done. And yet the promise of family to you to your context, only affirm to me that the miracle that's happened in your life is gonna be the miracle that is a prophetic miracle for the rest of the church. Yeah. There, there are gonna be things that, in, you know, that you've been waiting on as a church family that is gonna birth reproduction. It's gonna birth things. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth spiritually and naturally. And I wanna speak that over you. You might be believing that today's message is going to be somewhat in an element of you're gonna be able to reach into what God's doing in your life and go, yeah, I'm gonna pull that down for myself. You know, I was taught, I love pastors Mark and Nina and the whole team and everybody knows that. And, and, and we love being at Emerge. And when you do a jigsaw puzzle, this is what I've learned, because I don't do it this way is that you're meant to look at the cover, you're meant to capture it in your mind, and then take the cover away, and then let the puzzle pieces speak for themselves. Right, and, and that's, what, that's what I learned. The master told me this, this is how you, this is how I do this. You know, the game's on then. And so today, we're in a church, so I'm allowed to use scripture. And I'm gonna to present to you few, a few parts of the puzzle pieces. And then right at the end, we're gonna knit them all together. But I want you to understand, as I'm speaking to the church family and the promise over the church family, I want you to take this for your own families as well. I've seen miracle after miracle after we have been able to present this especially to praying mamas, because everybody knows praying mothers have a special equity in the kingdom of heaven. Most of us are here because somebody, a grandmother or a mother prayed for us, or an auntie somewhere. You know, I think that my dad might have prayed, but when my mom prayed, heaven moved. You know, my dad prays for me every morning. He tells me that, six o'clock, 
all of the family, he prays. He gets up early, 5.30, sorry. And he prays for our whole family. That's amazing. But also know that I'm, in he- I'm here because I know my mum prayed for me. And so I want to, if you're a praying mama in the house, grandmother in the house, whatever, wherever you find yourself, spiritual or natural mama, you're going to find yourself blessed by this morning. Because that promise that you lean in on will release miracles of family reconciliation in your life. The prodigals will come home because promises of God are in him and they're yes and amen. And they cannot be beaten by a circumstance that is inferior to the covenant we live in. So that being our starting point, I wanna present to you a word for the house, but for your homes in particular. It's called salvation has come to your house. Now, if it's okay, can someone move this? I'm not tall enough for people to see like me, this, this, this makes me feel a bit shorter than what I am. Salvation has come to your house. In Luke 19, it says this, and Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it, and there was a man called Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, and he was rich, and he was trying to see Jesus, but he could not on account of the crowd because he was small in stature. We're all trying to see Jesus. That's just something we're trying to do. I understand how he feels because of when, you, when you're at the movies, if you have any, any, anyone ever had someone tall sit in front of them at the movies and you're like, I'm always a little bit tempted to get one of those kids booster seats and just sit on it, just, just own it. But all of you would have got this uh, scarlet cord on your seat somewhere. Now, for those that know the Bible well enough, you know this symbolizes a narrative in the Bible, a storyline in the Bible. What intrigues me about this particular storyline is that the children of Israel were given a promise, a promised land. And part of that promise was to take a particular region. Now, in that region, they had people spy out the land. And in the spying out of the land, made a promise to one particular household and said, if you put this in the window, death will not touch your house. Like the whole, the whole region is being taken out. But if you put this in your window, death will not come to your house. Now, they didn't have Facebook back then. They didn't have memos. They didn't have, you know, Slack or Trello or all the teams and all the emails and all that. They didn't have all that stuff. They couldn't just text each other and going, hey, new rule Moses made up. Don't touch the house marked by a scarlet cord. How could thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, if not more than 10,000 and thousands of people, realize that when they're taking a whole region, you never touch a house marked by the scarlet cord? Have you ever asked that question? Look, I like the, the intrigue of the Bible, like just some of the weird stuff. You go, how did they know? How did they know? How did each one in their belief system know death never touches the house marked by a scarlet cord? So we answer that question like one of the puzzle pieces that we're jumping into here. So he was small in stature and he needed to see Jesus. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree. Again, as the writers are writing, Luke's a very detailed writer. But he uses the term sycamore tree. Why sycamore tree? Like he could have just said tree. He climbed up a tree. He got to a high place and looked down. That's mentioned multiple times in the Bible. He intentionally writes, he climbed up a sycamore tree. 
in order to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus reached the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus is trying to see Jesus. He climbs up a sycamore tree. Now, a sycamore tree explicitly mentioned, if you do a family line of which family the sycamore trees. Now, I'm not some National Geographic guy, so I actually have to research this stuff. A sycamore tree is in, a, is in the family of fig trees. Now, when I say fig tree or fig leaf, you jump right back to Genesis. Most storylines start in Genesis. And so Luke is explicitly writing that Zacchaeus climbed up a fig tree and would have been surrounded by fig leaves. Zacchaeus' name means purity. So here you have, if you're looking at a metaphor or an analogy, what you're seeing is self-made purity climbing up a tree of self-effort because what happened? When they, when they failed in the garden, they covered themselves with fig leaves. So here you have purity climbing up a tree covered by self-effort to cover oneself in order to see Jesus. And Jesus goes, would you get down? Because our purity up a tree means nothing. Jesus is on his way to the cross. He says, purity, get down. Your purity is not the, the, the purity we need up the tree. And, and, and let's keep following the story. Let me show you this. And when the people saw it, they all muttered among themselves and indignantly complained, he has gone in to be the guest of and lodge with a man who is devoted to sin and preeminently a sinner. Like, we all know some bad people. We all know people that we wouldn't trust with our credit card details. You know, you just don't, you don't leave it exposed on the table. You know, you, you just have people that, like, do some messed up stuff. They could be in your family. They might not be. But most of us have that family member. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you go, <clears throat> you go, I don't trust you with everything. But the way I describe you would never be devoted to sin and preeminently a sinner. Like, that's not my go-to. It's like, maybe he's a bit dodgy. But, I mean, nothing to the point of... Hey, when I think about this person, he's devoted to sin. And preeminently, first and foremost, above anything and everything else, he is a sinner. Zacchaeus' name means purity. It meant his mother had some hope for him. He comes out, Zacchaeus, he's going to live a life of purity. Years later in his adulthood, the community knows him as devoted to sin. And preeminently a sinner. And he finds himself up a tree. A tree that symbolizes self-effort. A tree that is trying to cover himself and try to see Jesus. When the whole time Jesus says, get down from that tree. Because it's not your purity up a tree that's going to allow you to see God. It's going to be my purity up a tree that allows you to see God. So first, let's just lay this out here. We need to stop climbing trees of self-effort and our own purity to try to see God. Because he will tell us to come down. 
and still be gracious and say, but I'm gonna come to your house. Not just you, your house. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came down from that tree. Jesus turns around and says, salvation has come to your house because you are a true son of Abraham. Zacchaeus' mother had high hopes for him. That's why when you see baby dedications, you never ever look down or we were never part of a baby dedication says, today we have the privilege of dedicating Judas to all of, to, to all of you today. <laughs> Nobody ever goes, how do, how do we know? And you know, Judas was quite a common name back then. Yeah. Why? Because we've associated something to the name. There's lots of Peters in a room this big. There's got to be a couple of Peters in here. There's got to be a couple of Davids in here. David failed, so did Peter. But we, we name our kids that stuff. But Judas, no way. And Zacchaeus, though, gets called down by Jesus saying, salvation is coming to your house. Watch what he says. Because you are, are, are a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus, I'm bringing salvation to your house today because I made a promise to your great, 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 great grandfather. Zacchaeus brought salvation to his house because God made a promise that superseded his performance. That, that, that superseded his devotion to sin and preeminence as a sinner. Jesus said, the promise I made to Abraham and your family line is more powerful than how the community identifies you. Is there a promise over your house that is more powerful than the performance in it? Because God has blessed family lines. He has put a promise over your house If you're a praying mother, then this one's for you. As you pray over your family, link yourself, agree with the promises that have been made, not the the performance in it. And you'll be praying in agreement to the superior sound of heaven over you and your household. Because the promise of God outperforms the inferior performance of your family in the house. All right, let's keep going. So household salvation is based on a promise and not performance. But in order to understand family blessings and promises, sometimes you've got to go right back to Genesis to fully understand it. Like I said, here's another puzzle piece. If we go back to Genesis, let's have a look here. In Genesis 4, it says, And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain has just killed Abel. And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. I hear multiple times people say to me, Man, I just wished I lived back in the Bible days. It would have been so amazing. Like, it would just, it just been like, I just want to be there. I mean, you wouldn't have wanted to be, you know, you wouldn't have wanted to be part of the first family. The murder rate back then was 25%. 
And he says, your brother's blood is speaking to me from the ground. Now, when we read that scripture, we see blood as as singular. But in the Hebrew, the word is demai, and it means bloods, plural. So when Cain killed Abel, Abel was innocent. Later, you'll read that Paul would write that that Jesus' blood speaks better than the blood of Abel's. Because innocent blood speaks outside of time. When Abel died, it says God heard his blood speaking. It wasn't just Abel's blood. It was his whole family line speaking in the heavens. Innocent blood speaks outside of time. Therefore, if Jesus' blood speaks better than the sound of Abel's, and we are part of his family line, then who is speaking on our behalf? Which innocent blood is speaking on our behalf and our whole family line that exists outside of time? Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood is the promise that salvation is coming to your house. In Exodus 12, one to four, this is the first Passover. The catalyst of understanding what a sacrifice for a whole nation would look like. It says this, tell all the congregation of Israel on the 10th day of this month, they shall take every man a lamb or kid according to the size of the family. Not a lamb for each person in the family. A lamb for the family of which he is the father, a lamb or kid for each house. And if the household is too small to consume the lamb, let him and his next door neighbor take it according to the number of persons. Every man according to what each can eat shall make your count for the lamb. The lamb is in excess of the family's needs. Everyone partakes of it. Everyone has to be seated at the table to partake of it. But it's not get each lamb. Get one yourself. You turn to your kids. You come to a certain age, go get your own lamb. You deal with it. So often, in my own journey, I know, we've made our salvation story just about us. When if you look historically, yes, there were one-on-one salvations. I believe in that 100%. But if you really look at how God transformed places and regions and cities, he did it like, like salvation's come to your house. This city has been saved. He didn't ask for their resumes first. And so they, they present this lamb to the family. And he says, if it's, if, if your household is too small, what it doesn't say is, if the lamb is too small, go and get another one. Because the lamb is never too small for the family. It's always in excess of, and it's in such excess of, that you can invite other people to your house. In this particular story in Exodus, death is literally going past the door. 
but the lamb is in excess of the family's needs. Let's keep going. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, go forth, select and take a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin and touch the lintel above the door and the two side posts. And none of you shall go out of his house until morning. Historically, according to Alfred Idersheim, in the book, The Temple, he was an 18th century messianic theologian. He said that they took three sticks of hyssop. Hyssop has a bluey, purpley color to it. Three sticks of hyssop, which symbolizes perfection. Seven is finished, three is perfection. Innocent blood, so what we've just learned, that speaks outside of time. And they would bind it with a scarlet cord. They would bind the three sticks with a scarlet cord. In essence, sealing the promise and holding it together. So I want you to see the image of understanding that purple and blue speak of grace or royalty. Three speaks of perfection. The innocent blood speaks of a timeless salvation. And it's all bound together by a scarlet cord. So when Moses was sealing a household and he told the fathers to do this and the family to do this, is they would take perfect grace dipped in innocent blood that speaks outside of time, bind it with a promise, and they would seal their whole household because the lamb was in excess of their family's needs. There is a lamb that is in excess of your family's needs. He's never in lack. We don't need to have a fearful fixed mindset or a lack mindset when it comes to the finished work of Jesus. If you, if you can think of someone preeminently a sinner and devoted to sin and yet a promise to Abraham got him out of that, what could God do for your family if we became aware of the promise and not its performance? I, used to, I was a youth pastor for a long enough time to realize that moms just wanna fix their kids. It's true. I take so many phone calls all the time from, from parents that just desperately wanted their child to do well in life. And so many times I take the phone call and the mum would say, hey, Andrew, um, can you fix my kid? I need, I need them to, can you connect with them? You need to meet with them. And, I, and I'd be thinking, because we had so many high schools connected to when we were, what we were doing. And, and they would say something along the lines of, you know, uh, can you meet with them? And I'd be like, yeah, of course, I, I can meet with them. It's, it's part of my role, so yeah, all good. Have I met them before? Oh, no, you haven't met them before. Actually, they're standing right next to me on the phone. Do you want to talk to them right now? <laughs> Do you want your kid to hate the youth pastor? <laughs> hey, just letting you know, your mom's standing right next to you. She called me because you need to get fixed. And... Uh, but you know what? I love the heart of a mum that wants to see their kid do well. And I realized when I was, when I was putting all of these promises and this, these, these, this, this jigsaw puzzle together, that instead of praying against their performance, because that's a deficit mindset, what if we prayed into the promise that God gave you for them? Because the promise 
will outweigh an inferior performance. And so for those that are praying for their kids, this is, this is true. I've seen miracle after miracle after miracle in families because of this. When you pray, pray to the promise that God gave you for them and not to the deficit performance that they're in. Pray the promise. Continue to pray the promise. Get crazy with the promise. Write it on the fridge. Write it in your journal. Put it in your car. Get, don't, don't fight them. Speak to the promise. I'm the result of a praying mother. My mom once came to me once and said, you know what? I'm done praying for you. <laughs> what? <laughs> I might be naughty, but she still got to pray for me. She said, I got a word from God in the car. I said, all right. I was always kind of a little bit in trouble with my mom. She said, God spoke to me and said, if I start a good work, I complete it. She, she goes, so that's the word. I'm just gonna pray over you every single day. But I'm not gonna fight you anymore. I'm not gonna pray against you anymore or, the, or what you're doing. I'm gonna pray that promise over and over that if he started it, if he needs you together in my womb, then he's gonna complete it. <laughs> she stopped praying against the performance and started to pray the promise. I'm here today because of a promise. My kids are here today because of a promise. Not because we were fighting performance all the time. And then you realize in Hebrews 9 that he would take this same model, same picture. And for every command of the law had been read out by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of slain calves and goats together with water and scarlet wool and with a bunch of hyssop and sprinkle both the book, the role of the law and covenant itself and all the people. Same picture, perfect grace dipped in innocent blood that speaks outside of time for you and your whole household is now sealing. It's the same. He was in the tabernacle and he sprinkled the law and he'd sprinkle the people. The law's perfect, the people weren't. Yet both, were rendered equal under the promise. The deficit of people's performance and the purity of God's law were made equal under perfect grace dipped in innocent blood that speaks outside of time, seals you and your whole household. Saying these words, this is the blood that seals and ratifies the agreement. So my question to us is what kind of lamb are we presenting to our family? When you talk to your kids, when you talk to your family, and this is a family, more I feel, we're a family. Everyone that we're, we're as you grow and as you, as you engage more and more of the community, this is family. What kind of lamb are we gonna be presenting? Is it gonna be a lamb of, of lack or is it gonna be a, lack of ex, a lamb of excess? So there's more room for you. Come, and, and we're not asking you for your performance, we're just sealing you with a promise. We're sealing you. This house is sealed by a promise that is multi-generational and intergenerational. Psalm 105 verse eight says, there is a blessing for a thousand generations because of the covenant. A thousand generations. That's kind of like David in essence saying, it just goes on and on and on and on. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. Understand, the good things to come. You can't have a promise and then be doom and gloom. You can't be, have a promise and then be cynical. 
the promise gives us the posture of optimism because the promise supersedes the performance and sending people up trees in order to see God. How much more the lamb is in excess of, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works, putting fig leaves on ourselves to serve the living God. And for this reason, he's the mediator of the new covenant. Those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Inheritance is a family word, not an employee commodity word. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice, Everybody say one. One sacrifice for our sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. You know, I always think Moses got a little bit of a rough deal about not being allowed into the promised land. If you know the story, it's because the first time they need water, he hits the rock. God tells him to hit the rock, the water comes out, living water comes out. Second time, God says, speak to the rock. Moses gets angry though. And he hits it. Later on in Corinthians, you'll read that Paul talks about how that rock that was with them was Christ. Christ is struck once. Because I always thought, you know, like, Moses, you're not allowed into the promised land because you were disobedient. Hey, let's be very real. Nobody's getting to the promised land if it comes down to obedience. We're gone as if it's about obedience. Yeah, he wasn't allowed into it. And, 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 and you realize that when God said to speak to the rock, Christ can't be struck twice, only once. The second time he says, speak to the rock, in essence, come into agreement with the promise that it will come to pass. Come into the promise. Don't get angry again. And we're all, you know, sometimes we're, we're, we're mad, we're angry, we're frustrated. Even if you read social media at the moment, there's lots of things going on and people got their own opinions on everything. Everyone's just striking the rock because everyone's mad. You know? and striking the rock, striking the rock. When you just have to agree with the promise. Why are we focusing on things that are outside the promise of God? And, and, and the, the striking of the rock over and over again, it only had to be done once, right? So we're living in the fullness and the resurrection of it all, right? So instead of hitting the rock over and over again, just walk into your promise. Because if we consistently focus on, has Jesus done it all? Is the lamb in excess of? What if he didn't finish? What if he saved this part of my life, but not that part of my life? What if he likes my house, but it's only for this part of my house and not the rest of the house? What, 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 let, let me put it this way. And this is tweetable if you like Twitter is if you constantly take care of number one, you end up looking like a number two. <laughs> if all you focus on is my salvation story, my this and my that, my, is the lamb okay with me? Is it, hey, let's get real here. It was a lamb for the whole house. The lamb's in excess of. Your house is the community. All the different regions. More I feel, your community. It's, it's for that whole region. The lamb is in excess of Moray Field and beyond. What kind of lamb are we presenting to our family? For by one offering, he has perfected forever. Forever. Not just like one off, forever. One sacrifice for the whole world for eternity. J- Jesus changed the game from one sacrifice for one nation for one year to one sacrifice for the whole world 
for eternity. Why then? This is why we can believe that our past, present, and future have been covered by the blood because it exists outside of time because innocent blood speaks outside of time. There were some soldiers in World War II that had a fallen friend. He had died in battle and they wanted to bury him with some dignity. So they went to go bury him and they found they knew a local town had a chapel in it or or, or a small church with a cemetery attached. And they went, you know what? We want to bury him and have somewhat of a, a remembrance there. So they went up to the priest and they said, hey, look, is it okay if we bury our friend? He's been, he, he, he fell in the war, he died. Can we bury him? And, and, and the priest asked a few faith questions and said, look, I'm really sorry, but um, he's not really, he's not one of our denomination. He wasn't baptized into this denomination. Um, I can't bury him in our cemetery. And so what happened is, is they, they were angry and they buried him just outside the church grounds Number one, to remember him and where he was. But number two, to almost stir the priest a little bit. To go, look, you didn't even let us. We're going to bury him just there, just outside. So the war's over and they go, we'll pay one last tribute to our friend. So they go to honor him. They go to the chapel, the church, and they can't find his burial site anywhere. Now they're getting angry. We just want to honor our friend one more time. So they start walking around and around. They can't find his, they walk, this, they walk the boundary line of the church. They can't find his, his graveside body anywhere. So they start making their way to the front door of the church and the priest, before they even get to open the door, is standing there with a big smile on his face. And they're angry. They can feel the heat rising up in them. The priest with a big smile on his face says, I am so glad you're back. Before they can get their anger out, he turns around and goes, after our last conversation about your friend, and I saw the dignity that you buried with him, just out, buried him with out, over there. I felt so bad. So what I did after you guys had gone, he goes, we just moved the church boundary line so he could be in. See, when you're in charge, You're allowed to change where the fence line is. And Jesus took it from one sacrifice for one nation for one year to one sacrifice for the whole world forever. And then he sat down because he'd finished the work. Let's keep going. Religion is personified when we make up rules that God didn't institute and then make people's salvation subject to them. I believe for you and for what your future holds as a family. Let's break the rules that God never made up. (laughs) Behold, Joshua 2.18. Now we add the piece of the scarlet cord to the Rahab story as we bring this to a close. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall bind the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall bring your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household into your house. Notice they don't just say, and this is Rahab's house. Now Rahab 
happened to run a very entrepreneurial business in that city. She ran the brothel. She didn't just run it, as in she didn't just work in it, she ran it, she owned it. And they say, you've taken, two spies were in the land. She kept them in, at her place. And then they said, you have taken care of us. In order to honor you, we will, if you put this on your window, death will not touch your house. Death will not touch your house. Because perfect grace dipped in innocent blood that speaks outside of time, bound by a promise, seals a whole household. So when the thousands and the thousands and the thousands of people were taking that land and they saw this, they went, death does not come here. Doesn't matter what kind of person's in the house. Death does not come here, right? You know, I travel when, when I was traveling a lot more on planes, but even in meetings, Alison will always say, so how was your day? What were you doing? How, who'd you meet with? Um, you know, especially when I was away, where'd you stay? Did you meet anyone nice? Usually it's like, oh yeah, it was nice. It was good. What, 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 you know, are there kids still playing the same sport and everything? Oh yeah, I, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't really talk about that. Um, what's their house like? Nice. <laughs> what do you have for lunch? I don't remember. So can you imagine these, 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 these spies going home? Wife turning around. So how was it? Good. Um, where'd you stay? Well, like, uh, there, uh, uh, there's this thing. It was like just a community center. Like, it was, we were just there. And yet they tell her, bring your whole family in. Yeah. It's not just about you. It's about your whole family. And if you're bound by a promise, you'll be covered. What they didn't say was, Rahab, look, we know you've been kind to us, but in order for us to make a promise to you, you need to change business model and career. Become an accountant or something. Because that's safe. Like, go and find a, respect, a respectable job. Just hang this in your window and get as much of your family in the house as possible. And you go, is that it, Andrew? Well, remember, the lamb is in excess of. And I want you to think about this. First, it's a memento of a promise made. Two, it's a sign of salvation and redemption. Third, it's a sign and place of repentance and turning from one way of life to start a new life in a new covenant. We read the story and we realize that Rahab was part of Jesus's lineage. All because someone was willing to make a promise before purity. Someone was willing to make a covenant before a conversion. Rahab ends up being one of the matriarchs of the Bible. And then you realize in Proverbs 31, she fears not the snow for her family. Snow was, would, it would have been death. It would have been, it, it, it would have been destruction for an agrarian group of people. For all her household are doubly clothed in scarlet. The only person I can find in Scripture 
that has ever covered her house in scarlet was Rahab. Doubly clothed, double up the promise. I've seen so many miracles. I've done this particular teaching for women's conferences. And I've preached at the same women's conferences actually for years and years and years. And every now and then they'll say, can you please do that one session with the scarlet cord? And I go, but I did that last year. Yeah, yeah, no, but can you do it again? And I go, why? They said, because every year we see family reconciliation because of it. So mums, which can be sneaky, they take these scarlet cords. There's nothing magic in these scarlet cords. I didn't really pray for them. They're probably from Spotlight or something. Thank you, Joe and the team. Like they're probably from Spotlight. We didn't you know, put oil on them or anything. But it's a memento. It's a remembrance that the promise supersedes the performance. That indignant, you know, incessantly a sinner, like he's a sinner, he's devoted to sin, and yet the promise supersedes that. So mums would go and tell me stories. Hey, I took that scarlet cord and I threw it in my kid's pillow. They won't even know it's there. (laughs) I put it in their glove box because I know they're not looking in there. I put it around the mantle of my family photo because I'm believing that the promise of reconciliation will be there. I, I, I put it in my kid's wardrobe. I hung it on their bedroom doorknob. I put it on the kitchen window because every time I wash the dishes, I'm reminded, don't pray against performance. Agree with the promise. That perfect grace dipped in innocent blood that speaks outside of time for me and my whole family is wrapped in a promise and it seals all of us together. We have the next slide. What I want to close with is God's promises lead us to purity. God makes a covenant, then converts. Here's what I'm not saying, so that I don't get weird questions in the foyer. <laughs> what I'm not saying is there's another way around Jesus. John 14, 6 says that. But no one can come to the Father except through me. But here's what I am saying. The finished work and resurrection makes Jesus so large that He's difficult to get around because God doesn't give us what we deserve, but rather what we are worth. How you get to Jesus, how the Lamb is presented, doesn't have to play by our rules. And so Peggy Campolo, Tony Campolo's wife, tells this story of Peter at the gates of heaven and Paul, the ultimate administrator running heaven, doing the numbers, making sure it's running well and smoothly. And one day Paul runs up to Peter and says, Peter, Peter, there's something wrong with how you're letting people into heaven because the numbers aren't matching up. There's more people in heaven than I can see on the books. Your Excel document. What's going on? Peter's like, hey man, I don't know. I'm counting, I'm doing everything right. Paul's like, no, no, no. And we all know Peter messed up a few times. So, you know, it's within Paul's rights to go and check in. <laughs> Paul goes, come on, what's going on, man? So anyway, a week, day goes by, weeks go by, and what's happening is more people are in heaven in the count than what's on Peter's logbook. Paul's like, this is ridiculous. What is going on? Peter's like, it's not my fault. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, weeks go by, and one day, Paul comes running. Peter sees Paul charging toward him, yelling at the top of his voice, Peter, Peter, I figured it out. I figured out what's wrong. Why there's more people in heaven than what I can see in the logbook. Is Peter, Jesus is letting in people over the fence. <laughs> Why? 
His perfect grace lived in innocent blood and speaks outside of time, wrapped in a promise, seals you and your whole household. And there is no promise of God that can ever fall under or be broken by performance. So would you stand up to your feet? And I'm gonna pray for you. And this is what I'm believing for. And if that's you in this auditorium, in this community, more I feel, if you are in this space of wanting to believe God for your family, if you stand up to your feet right here, right now, I'm gonna believe God that there is going to be an acceleration of family reconciliation. That in a time when there could be so much disruption, in a time where circumstances feel like they're they're overshadowing our covenant, I wanna speak to the promises over your life and to the promises in your family line. Would you just close your eyes and let me pray for you? Father, right now, I thank you for every family represented here today. Lord, you know the hearts of every single person here at Warner and at Moray Field. You know the secret cries of their heart for their family and for their future and for their legacies. And we declare right now, we declare right now that there is a salvation coming to their house, that the lamb is in excess of the family's needs, that the promises of God supersede the performance of trying to climb up and cover ourselves with fig leaves. That today, no matter which age range we fall into, we can be reminded that the promises of God are in you, Christ Jesus, and they are yes, and they are amen. And that the the declaration over our homes right now is that perfect grace dipped in innocent blood that speaks outside of time seals our whole household because salvation has come to our house. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you all. Thank you so much for having me. I love Emerge. I love your family and I love what God's doing in this house. God bless you all. Thank you, Pastor Mark.